Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series that we started in 2020 with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which we're excited to resume in September of 2021 in New York City. Uh, but our goal is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts, as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And one of these important ideas uh, and, and issues in our society today is effective policing. So we're very excited to welcome what I think is one of America's foremost experts on the topic onto the show, and that's Commissioner Bill Bratton. Uh, Mr. Bratton served as the chief of the Los Angeles Police Department, chief of the New York City Transit Police, commissioner of the Boston Police Department and commissioner of the New York City Police Department in both 1994 and 2014. He's out with a great new book called The Profession, a memoir of community, race, and the arc of policing in America, which again, we think tackles some of these really important topics uh, that are going on in society today, obviously around everything that ha happened with George Floyd last year uh, and other incidences of of uh, police violence, but also you know recognizing the complexity around policing, I think is something that that uh, Mr. Bratton does as well as anyone uh, in the marketplace. Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of Salt. Uh, he's a longtime friend of Mr. Bratton as well, so we're excited to welcome uh, the commissioner onto Salt Talks here today. Anthony, go ahead and take it away. Well, thank, thank you, John. And so, uh, Commissioner, uh, it's great to see you. The book is fantastic. I like holding up the books of my friends. So we're going to put it up here. The Profession, a memoir of community race and the arc of policing in America. And it's truly a phenomenal book. I, I, I was reading it last night. I've got some questions related to stuff in the book, but I also want to start with your background, sir, because I find it to be one of the more amazing, quintessentially American stories about your life and how you developed your profession. So tell us a little bit about your background. We got a lot of young people uh, that listen to us, uh, over 80,000 subscribers now. Tell us about your background, how you got your career started. Well, I grew up uh, in the Dorchester section of Boston, born in 1947 raised in a, a cold water flat, a triple decker, unique style of housing in Boston. And uh, uh, most of my younger life that uh, I be, uh, began to become fascinated with policing. There was a police station down the street that was co-joined with a local library. And I spent a lot of time in the library and a lot of time just watching those cops marching out of the building. But uh, I didn't become a police officer until 1970. I was just, <clears throat> just back from Vietnam War. I had served three years as a military police sentry dog handler. And going on the Boston police was the fulfillment of a uh, dream that uh, the dream was to become a cop. And in the 1970s, extraordinary turbulent times in Boston, desegregation sure. schools. The desegregation busing schools, issues, yeah. Turbulent times in our country, certainly, 60s and 70s. So uh, the book that uh, uh, you're referencing, The Profession, uh, is a memoir, memoir, 50 years of policing since I joined it in 1970. And now 2021, in some respects, uh, it's reflective of uh, Yogi Berra's deja vu all over again. Yeah, sure. Uh, looking at the New York Post headlines the last couple of days about squeegee pests and graffiti. Uh, 
A lot of people in New York weren't around back in the 70s, 80s, early 90s, but I was. And uh, we're kind of back where we started after 50 years as it relates to those issues. Well, you know, I want to applaud you. In, in 1989, I lived in the city. Uh, you had that intersection on 96th Street leading up to uh, the FDR Drive. They always had three or four guys there panhandling. Yeah. Uh, turned out there weren't that many of them. I remember that from your first book uh, in terms of cleaning up that situation and making the quality of life in the city better. Um, you also had in your first book, uh, there was a pamphlet that used to show people about the early policing in Boston, I believe it was. If it wasn't Boston, it was something, but you had this pamphlet about how the police officers operated. Do you remember this pamphlet, Bill? I don't know if you remember it, but you, I'll, I'll have to dig it up if you don't remember it. But I was fascinated by that. I saw you give a speech related to it when you became the commissioner of uh, the police in LA. And the reason I'm bringing it up, it's- Are you about, talking about uh, Sir Robert Peel's uh, yes. philosophy? The yes. nine, nine philosophies that uh, yeah. actually- yes. That's exactly uh, my what I'm talking about. They carry it everywhere. <laughs> okay, you see that? Yeah, so I remember that vividly from a speech that you gave. Uh, I was so impressed with it. And I'm, I'm glad you put that in there because uh, I was going to be, all right, maybe, I've, maybe I've, I've misspoke. But there's a linkage to your philosophy related to police conduct that goes back hundreds of years and I want you to talk a little bit about that, and then we'll get into the book. But I think it's very important because I think we're, I think what we have found is that philosophy does work. People are safer, even mm-hmm. the people in more violent communities, frankly, feel safer. Um, but could you go into that a little bit, sure. if you don't mind? Uh, I go into it extensively in the book because it's a central thread in the garment of the book, if you will. And what we're talking about are actually two concepts that are linked. One is. Sir Robert Peel, 1829, creates the Metropolitan Police in London, really the first uniform police service in a, uh, a Western society. Uh, and he uh, enunciates at that time nine principles of policing. And they are, if you take the time to read them, and they are in the book, that uh, they are even more appropriate today than in 1829. The first of them is that the basic mission for which the police exists is to prevent crime and disorder. Five most important words in policing in Western civilization. The police exist to prevent crime, not just respond to it, and disorder. In the 70s and 80s in America, we focused on responding to crime and paid no attention to disorder. The linkage of this document is to another document I think you're referring to, and that's the article in Atlantic Monthly 1982 by George Kelling and Jim Wilson called Broken Windows. Yep, and yep, Broken exactly. Windows was based on the idea that if you did not take care of minor crime that most people encountered every day that destroyed neighborhoods and created fear, similar to what New York is going through right now, indeed, many parts of the country, the idea of the prostitute, the idea of the, the, the homeless, the aggressive beggar, the squeegee pests that are now invading New York once again, the graffiti, that that's what people saw every day. They might read about the murders, but most people were not going to be the victims of serious crime. So the linkage from the nine philosophies and the idea to control crime and disorder to broken windows, I am probably the most formidable uh, uh, proponent of Sir Robert Peel, but also of broken windows, that you cannot have serious crime reduction without also focusing on serious order control or fixing the broken windows. And so, and so what, what happened, Commissioner, because we, we, it seemed like as an observer, my business has been in New York, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, less my 
seven years in Boston, which you and I have discussed. I'm a New Yorker. Um, it seemed like we had things going well. Uh, you started a renaissance in New York uh, when you were the commissioner of the police. Uh, it seemed like you we took some of those practices. Now we can talk about stop and frisk as well. I I know that that's a politically charged issue, and mm-hmm. and I and I certainly don't want to I. Uh, I want to overly opine on that because I don't understand it as well as you do. I'm sure you could you could give your opinion of it, but but my point is, we seemed like we had the city in a safe position. It feels very unsafe today to people. If it just you know certain areas, pockets of it, crime, homeless tents, panhandlers, squeegee people. So why did it devolve to where it is today? And did it did it need to devolve to where it is today? Obviously not. So why did it? The book speaks to that uh, change that you're talking about. Beginning in 1990, after the failure of the 70s and 80s, crime exploding, disorder exploding, New York was a basket case. Uh, 2,245 murders, 5,000 shootings in the streets, disorder everywhere. Uh, We embraced in policing and government a new concept called community policing. And that philosophy of policing echoed Sir Robert Peel's in that it was about partnership with the community, identifying what were the problems they wanted police to focus on, not just police deciding, but working in partnership and collaboration with the communities, in individual communities having different priorities. And lastly, focusing on dealing with these problems to the extent that we prevented them from coming back. And starting uh, uh, Dave Dinkins, uh, uh, Lee Brown, Ray Kelly, 1990-91, they were able to hire 6,000 more cops and began a process where crime began to go down, but it was going down so slowly that people were not noticing because a lot of the focus was not on quality of life crime. 1994, Giuliani's elected, I'm appointed as police commissioner. We embraced totally the concept of focusing significantly on fixing broken windows, quality of life at the same time, developing better, more scientific ability to deal with serious crime, the CompStat system which I, Jack Maple, John Timothy, Luana Moore, so known for on the NYPD. And what was the result? Well, New York City for almost 30 straight years, the country for almost 20 some odd straight years, saw significant reductions in crime. By 2019, New York City had an 80% reduction in overall crime since 1990, a 90% reduction in homicides. Country overall had had a 40% reduction up until 2019, I had predicted quite comfortably, confidently, that New York City would never experience a crime increase again. But boy, was I wrong. I was unfortunately tragically wrong because New York and the country in the midst of another crime wave, particularly murders and shootings, and particularly impacting on our minority uh, communities. And uh, it, it went terribly wrong in 2018, 19, and certainly in 20. Due, due to what? Combination of things. One, COVID virus, we still don't fully understand the impact of that, uh, but the, the, the catastrophe of that, uh, not only the 600,000 deaths, but the impact on people's lives, the stresses. So we feel that that certainly had an impact on some of the crime increases that some of the deaths, if you will, domestic violence, et cetera. But in the case of New York City, where in New York State that you and I are more intimate with, but echoed around the country, there was a criminal justice reform movement, well-intended. I'm a reformer. I've been reforming police agencies for 50 years. And New York City was probably leading the way in 2018-19. We had everything going in our favor. 
but in our uh, legislative body in Albany uh, decided that they wanted more significant criminal justice reform and put through a well-intended but ill-conceived, terribly constructed set of reforms dealing with bail issues, as well as uh, uh, police powers dealing with uh, particularly minor types of crimes. The Bail Reform Act was incredibly flawed, well-intended, but one of the things it did not allow judges in this state to do, which they allowed to do in every other state, is take into consideration, if they set bail, the likelihood that this person is going to be a danger to the public if they are released. They're not allowed to do that here in uh, New York State. So of all the failures that have reformed, that was probably the most significant. But additionally, uh, it is so difficult now to arrest somebody and keep them in jail. And so we're seeing in the papers every day stories of somebody who's arrested, put right back out again, arrested, put right back out again. Commissioner Shea, the police commissioner, is going out of his mind with it. And Albany is still talking about more reforms, more interest in the, if you will, the uh, criminal than in the victim. And that's what upset the apple cart here in New York City. Blame it on Albany and their well-intended but terribly uh, uh, constructed and implemented criminal justice reform. Okay, so let me play the, I'm going to put my hat on now. I'm going to play the radical left for a second, okay, which obviously I'm not, but I'm going to play it here, and I want you to respond to them. So they they feel, rightly or wrongly, that the, the society is to blame. Uh, and they feel that so uh, the victim is the victim, but also the criminal is a victim of the society, institutional biases, and perhaps institutional racism. And so a result of which we have to be lenient um, in these cases. And your response to that is what? They have a point to an extent. Uh, I'm a reformer. Uh, I understand that life is not fair for many people, that uh, in terms of economic uh, deprivation, uh, mental issues not dealt with adequately, uh, uh, neighborhood environments that offer so many uh, awful temptations, drugs, et cetera. Uh, I understand that as a police officer, I have to understand that. At the same time, you can't excuse away behavior. And the police exist to control behavior under the law. Uh, The challenge for us is to do it compassionately consistently and constitutionally, according to the law. And in terms of whether laws are too lenient, too strict, that's not on the police, that's on the politicians who create the laws. At the moment, I think in an effort to address where the laws were too strict in the minds of many politicians, they are now trying to uh, address or redress those issues. But I think they have gone, the pendulum has gone much too far to the left. We are much too lenient on the repeat offender, even taking into account the awful circumstances that they might have grown up in. And so uh, there is a great debate raging, the criminal justice reform debate. It needs to be debated. We need to find more common ground. And I speak to this in the book about the idea of the path to the way forward. The irony was, uh, uh, Anthony, we were, we were there in 2018 and 19, the reforms crime down so dramatically in the city racial issues diminishing, use of force by police in New York City at the lowest point in the history of the city. So all the concerns about too much police use of force, et cetera, it was not happening to the degree to which the far left attempts to portray it. And in some respects, some of the media attempts to portray it. No, uh, we had an etch-a-sketch moment, 2019, 20, around the pandemic and around 
uh, the criminal justice reform in this country. In the Etch-a-Sketch moment, as we kind of erased all the reforms of the last 50 years, and said, let's start over. We don't need to start over. A lot of things were working. Well, I want to ask one more question related to this. I'm going to ask you where we should go and what your recommendations are, what you do put in the book. Um, and I want to I want to touch on the police force issue and the media's demonstration of that, and obviously the tragic incident related to uh, George Floyd and his death. Uh, the defund the police movement. Um, I want to get your reaction to all of those things. Police force tragic death of George Floyd and some of these other incidents that we've seen now that are caught on tape related to the uh, police action. Uh, and then obviously uh, the defund the police movement. What are your thoughts on those three things? On the three, one of the frustrations and one of the uh, arguments I advance in the book and forced, uh, thankfully as being advanced by most people discussing this issue is we have very uh, limited statistical information uh, to work with that uh, there were no national uh, 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 statistics oftentimes to address many of these issues. But let's take it, take a look at the probably the most accurate one, ironically at the moment, is the Washington Post uh, study of police shootings going back to 2015. And what that shows is between 2015 and 2020, there are an average of less than 1,000 police involved shooting deaths in the United States, huh? 992. 241 of those, about 25% are, are Blacks. Blacks constitute about 13% of our population. And of that number, 22 involved Blacks who were unarmed uh, at the time they were shot. Uh, in terms of the uh, uh, incident in Minneapolis with Mr. Floyd, uh, he is not in this category of shooting, certainly. He was not shot. He was basically uh, killed in another way. But also uh, that uh, the idea that uh, we need to take into context those numbers involving blacks, that 48% uh, of murder offenders, those who commit murders in this country, are black in an overall population of 13. So police encounters oftentimes involving use of force or being uh, having force used against them involve a higher proportion of blacks. So that might explain some of that disproportionality in those numbers. There's also the idea that uh, police use of force has been going down dramatically over the years. That uh, in the city of New York in the 1970s, there were over 900 shooting incidents involving New York City police officers, and on average, 50 people a year being shot to death. Last year, with 35,000 police officers in New York City, there were 26 incidents involving people being shot by New York City police officers, the majority of them in response to being shot at. So look at the decline in police shootings just in New York City. And around the country, uh, the decline has also been very, very significant. So relative to the issue of use of force, it has been going down as police are getting better trained and have been reforming. On the George Floyd uh, incident, uh, that was out-and-out uh, -out murder. I talk about that in the book. I think we all agree, and certainly that's what he was convicted of. That one individual set policing back almost 50 years. The gains of those 50 years and the minds of particularly our black population, but the tens of millions who turned out to demonstrate with them among our white population, Latino population, clearly believe that the police have been behaving inappropriately toward minorities. And unfortunately, in some instances we have, but in the case of the Floyd incident, the Floyd murder, 
uh, it is now uh, basically uh, uh, blown up to a proportion. The police have been set back on their heels and it's gonna take us uh, quite a while to recover from that damage, even though the statistics work in our favor in the sense of showing we're using less force, that the number of these incidents is relatively small in the overall scope of things. Uh, so the George Floyd uh, incident on the negative side is set police back. On the positive side, it is in fact, uh, basically in terms of uh, uh, for blacks in particular, it has awakened America to the incredible frustration that community has felt. And understandably, when you look at the history of how they've been dealt with since uh, uh, the inception of this country. So uh, out of the negative came a positive, And as we go forward, the challenge is gonna to be to try and find common ground that we can effectively, in a sense, uh, deal with police that we get gain trust again, deal with the black population that they feel they are being respected and being responded to. In terms of the, uh, the third issue that you raised, the idea of defund the police, stupidest idea ever. Uh, in the sense of, and everybody from the president on down now is embracing the pushback against that idea that uh, when you're having problems with something, you don't basically take resources away from it. And police need to be refunded, not defunded. We need so much more training, so much better qualified officers, and it's gonna cost money. Uh, police are supportive of the uh, defund movement in the sense that we don't want to deal with the mentally ill. We don't want to deal with the homeless. We don't want to deal with the narcotics offender. We don't have the training or the skills, the expertise with six months of training in a police academy to deal with that. Let somebody else handle it who has more skills. But is our government and our society going to be willing to bear that expense? I'll be willing to bet no. Because for the last 50 years of my time in policing, they have dumped it on police. Why? Because they don't have the answers. They don't have the answers for mental illness. They don't have the answers for drug addiction. They don't have the answers for homelessness. So they talk a lot about it, throw money around without understanding how to effectively use it. And who ends up cleaning up the mess? The police. And so we're now being faulted for something basically that our political leadership, both Republicans and Democrats, have failed at for 50 years. And my prediction at this point in time, this inflection point, is they may fail again. Because even though we're talking about spending trillions of dollars on issues in this country, how much is going to be spent to hire thousands of social workers, thousands of mental health experts, reopen hospitals and institutions for the mentally ill, have meaningful drug treatment for the narcotics addicted, to find homes for the homeless? Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. And who's going to have to deal with it in the meantime? The police. So we need more funding, less, because we're going to be dealing with these problems for years to come. Well, I love the way you speak Sorry about for that it. Long, uh, that long-winded answer. No, I mean, no, not at all. I, I wanted to let you keep going because I think it's so insightful. And I think that uh, I love the way you speak about it. Frankly, we need more voices of advocacy for this sort of common sense. Well, I think, in that regard, uh, Andrew, I, I advocate for the police. I don't defend them. Some right. things we do are uh, indefensible. But I don't believe we need to defend the profession. I think the profession, its activities reducing crime disorder over these last some number of years speaks for itself. But I advocate for what they need to do even better. And so this is a great time to be on a soapbox advocating. So I appreciate the opportunity to be on this show with you to advocate on behalf of the police. Yeah, and we got to do more of it. And so, uh, and the book is very well timed. We got to get this book in the hands of many people, uh, Commissioner. But I want to I want to switch gears for a second and talk about the future. So where are we 
in five years in some of these cities like New York. Uh, what do we do? What's your recommendation? If I, if you were installed right now as our domestic police czar for the United States, uh, obviously I'm New York centric, but I mean, talk about it more broadly. What would be some of the recommendations? I know you put some of them here in the book. I want I want you to tell tell people what yeah. you. The, the irony is that uh, over the last particularly 20 years, but over the arc of the 50 years I write about in the book, we have been progressing. We've been getting better at this. Uh, you're not going to solve the race problems in America without basically uh, uh, engaging the police in it because the two are so entwined that and that's what I talk about in the book. And so we need to find ways of getting police closer to the community. And we were doing that until the last year or two. Unfortunately, the uh, seismic change in that last year or two uh, has been so dramatic, so profound, that it's not going to take a year or two to fix it. It undid almost 30 years of reform that I was very involved in in New York City, Los Angeles. So much of that was wiped away in the loss of trust and the regeneration of, of Black anger at government and at police in general. Going forward, uh, there is no quick fix that uh, New York uh, City debates that are being held about the mayoral candidates. Uh, that next mayor is going to basically have a tough time, no matter who it is, because these issues are not easily resolvable. But they are going to require police involvement. We are the essentiality in government, in democracy, to hold it all together. We are the glue that holds it all together. So rather than abolishing us, rather than defunding us, we're going to have to effectively strengthen us, but strengthen us based on learned experiences. Uh, John Timoney, the late great John Timoney, my first deputy commissioner, sure. uh, great, great cop, uh, uh, died much too young. John had an expression, uh, something affected. Uh, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. Those who know, those who study cops know we don't know our history. And that's the truth that uh, we don't even learn from our own past. And what I've tried to do in this book is educate not only the public in general, but my own peer group about the history of police, what we got right, what we got wrong. We got so much right in the last 20, 30 years, but it's been undone to a great degree. I'm an optimist. I wouldn't have come to New York to take over the subways in 1990, come work with Rudy Giuliani in 1984, go to Los Angeles, the most racially torn divisive city in this country in 2002, if I was not an optimist. I'm an optimist about coming out of this crisis, but that optimism is in a sense, uh, uh, framed by caution in that uh, there's so much going on in this country politically at the moment that uh, those tensions are going to impact significantly on the tensions around race and police. So what's happening externally, the right, the left, uh, uh, the uh, Republican, Democratic differences, uh, if they can't find common ground to talk, it's going to make it much more difficult for us to find common ground to talk. Well, I, I think it's very well said. I mean, I'm not I'm not Cindy Adams, uh, the very famous uh, New York Post gossip columnist. I read the article that you were in this weekend uh, where she was asking about the different candidates. Uh, but I do agree with you that whoever takes that spot is going to be in a tumultuous situation. It's all be a quagmire. Yeah, and you know, I think I think you know this, and I know this that the engagement rules under uh, Mayor de Blasio have changed with police officers and the homeless. And obviously that's come, coming from Albany as well, but it's been generated by de Blasio and the city council. 
uh, it's going to take a lot of work to reverse a lot of that stuff if we want to. There's, there's an irony there. I, I was Blasio's first commissioner, worked with him for three years, advised him in his run up to the uh, mayor's race. Uh, had great success with him. He was supportive of Sir Robert Peel crime and disorder. Uh, funded me incredibly well, particularly after the murder that I talk about in the book of uh, Detectives Ramos and Lou. Uh, in the midst of all of the racial crises. And, and just to remind viewers what that was, that was in Brooklyn. Uh, the police officer was shot through the window. It's a very controversial died. thing that happened. They both died. And uh, at the uh, uh, funeral eulogy for one of them, I talked about the importance of seeing each other, not just see somebody in a blue uniform or a black face, but the idea to see each other. And I, I had very good luck with de Blasio those first three years. Crime went down. The enforcement levels went down. Uh, so what, I don't know what happened in the last four years that, uh, that the wheels came off the vehicle that I was uh, in those first three years. I know my successes are having a very tough time dealing with City Hall. This City Hall has embraced the even farther to the left uh, uh, issues that Albany is embracing. I was encountering that, but not to the extent that my successes have been uh, having to deal with it. And I think uh, we've gone much too far to left. Too many of the wheels came off the car. And so the car is just not uh, moving forward at the pace it was years ago. Well, yeah. And you talk about it. You know, it's a it's a pragmatism. It's non-ideological. The book is really about addressing things from a right or wrong perspective as opposed to left or right. You're also racially sensitive in the book, which I admire. Um, you're, you're speaking to a 21st century audience. Uh, that we want to be sensitive to, but at the same time, uh, we can't allow reckless crime or petite crime because it destroys the quality of life of everybody, and it makes everybody frightened. I was outside the garden last night, and you know I've been to yeah, Iraq. that must have been that must have been kind of touchy after the loss, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I was yeah, I I uh, I was outside the garden before the game, and I was outside the garden after the game. Um, it was a it was a it was a raucous night, obviously, but uh, the garden did not feel the same to me. Didn't feel the same entering the garden. Uh, homeless people, obviously people with mental illness in the area around Penn Station, uh, quite reminiscent of the late 80s uh, before you took over with uh, Mayor Giuliani. And uh, it, it, it gives me great sadness, Commissioner, because uh, you don't want to even see the people like that you know, we want to figure out a way as our society, you know, we're rich enough society where we should figure out a way to help those people as well. I'm not exactly understanding the radical left position of leaving the people on the street. I, I guess they feel that they have a civil liberty to do that, uh, but it is infringing upon the rights of others. Uh, we have to figure it out. And it doesn't, think- it doesn't take care of them either because they're not being dealt with correctly for their emotional issues or drug addiction. Uh, there are two books that were very influential for me that speak to the, what you're talking about. One was Fred Siegel's book, The Future Once Happened Here, talking about the Lindsay years. And in some respects, we're repeating the Lindsay years of the late 60s, early 70s, in that the era of the early 70s, we're now starting to see that in a significant way, 2021 here in New York. And Siegel, uh, basically, I read that book coming into New York uh, when it was coming in as head of the subway police. And uh, I, I, I took it to heart. A second book that influences me, it goes back to my hometown where you went to school, Boston. In the 70s, uh, I never thought as a young cop sergeant superintendent in that department 
that Boston would ever straighten out from its racial turmoil was that bad in the 70s. But in his book, Anthony Lucas, Common Ground, you yeah. wrote wonderfully, I think you got a Pulitzer Prize for it, yeah, about the turmoil. He spoke, at, he spoke at Tufts beautifully my senior year. Oh. J. Anthony oh. Lucas, he was a Boston Globe columnist. The book Common Ground was an amazing story about re-knitting the cultural ethos of Boston, right. black and white. And look at Boston now in the sense of South Boston. It's not the South Boston and Charlestown of the 70s. Uh, it's now a yuppieville. Uh, Boston has a black mayor, a black police commissioner. Uh, uh, even Anna Carson Beach, that uh, where a black did not go for fear of losing their life. Uh, it's very mixed down through South Boston. So I look at Boston. I look at Los Angeles in many respects that the changes that occurred during my time there. So that's why I remain optimistic. But this time, despite, uh, if you will, newer generations who are more sensitive to the issues of race and economic disparity, uh, it's going to be difficult uh, because we are so polarized around our politics now, much more so than we were back in the 60s, 70s, for that matter, into the 90s. Look at the crime bill. Uh, I know a lot of people run away from the crime bill of 1994. But that crime bill had the assault weapons ban, 100,000 more cops. It had criminal justice research, drug treatment. Uh, it basically helped to turn around that crime problem for the next 20 years. And trying to find that type of consensus now, I can still remember being with Rudy Giuliani, lobbying Newt Gingrich, Speaker of the House, to support President Clinton's crime bill. So here you have a Republican mayor with his police commissioner lobbying the Republican Speaker of the House, who was basically at war with the president, but they found common ground on this issue. I'd love to see that happen uh, with the current Congress that I don't hold up much hope for it, but it's uh, hope springs eternal. Yeah, no, listen, I mean, I, I, we're, we're, we're up against it now. Hopefully uh, wisdom will prevail and there'll, there'll be less of an ideological struggle. I've got a few last questions for you, Commissioner, if you don't mind. Uh, do you worry as a pragmatist and an intellectual and a historian that the pendulum could. I like that title, intellectual. That's the first time that's been applied to me. I'm, yeah, I'm, well, you're obviously, I'll, you know, you. I'll, you know, I'll keep that one. <laughs> you're hiding that intellectualism with that that towny accent of yours. I got it. Okay, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I get it. You know, I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood, so I try okay. to do the same thing. But well, you notice I'm still wearing my blue collar. So. Yeah, yeah, and you look you look good in it too, sir. Okay, so so, but do you go? Does it go too far? Uh, meaning that. Do we get past a tipping point where we can't pull it back? Uh, that is the risk. And at the moment, the pendulum that I speak to in the book, the arc, if you will, the bending of the spring, uh, it's still going in that direction. But there's a couple of hiccups that are occurring uh, that I'm uh, optimistic about. Uh, it's ironic that the tragedy of crime is going to be one of those major hiccups to stop that pendulum swing. People are now coming out of the virus fear and now basically seeing that there is another virus that's been growing in America unchecked, continuing this summer to grow unchecked, that's going to scare the hell out of them. Won't take the lives that the virus took, but it can have tremendous economic and racial impact on the country. Uh, so I think the pendulum is going to still keep going to that left, but it's starting to stutter. So, so this is my last question, sir, and then we'll tie it up. But uh, I have to get to it because you write about it at the end of the book. Uh, and uh, it's just interesting. We have these domestic situation going on right now. 
but you've been battling uh, the police, local, state, and local police have been battling and working with the FBI and the CIA on counterterrorism. Um, and I want you to address that for us. Could you talk a little bit about the uh, current terror threats, in your opinion, and uh, mm-hmm. where they lurk and what we need to be doing about that through analysis, technology, et cetera? That uh, one of the things that changed for American policing on 9 11 was that prior to that time, we dealt with crime and disorder. That's what I dealt with in New York on the subway in the streets in Boston. Uh, my successor, Ray Kelly, the new mayor of Bloomberg, they had to deal with terrorism. American policing, for the first time, had to deal with this broad based terrorist threat that uh, Al Qaeda referenced uh, created. And then come, along comes ICs when I came back in 2014. Kudos to Commissioner Kelly in terms of what he built for the city of New York, an extraordinarily robust, probably the most robust in the country, if not the world, that kept the city safe for many years, even while he was keeping crime going down. We have different management styles. I critique him on a stock question of Frisk in the book, but on this issue of terrorism, you cannot fault him in the sense that uh, he and the mayor kept the city so safe. But that's one of the new challenges for American policing. In addition to crime and disorder, we now have the new crimes of terrorism, the new crimes of cyber, the new crimes involving drones, the new crimes involving data theft. Uh, the 21st century challenges uh, are phenomenal compared to what I dealt with for the first 30 years of my career. And to address them, we are gonna need refunded police, better trained police, with a lot more expertise in a lot more areas. That's why the foolishness of defund the police uh, in the, uh, the the heat of the moment around race issues, we need to refocus, reform the police, but we also need to reorganize them to be more robust to deal with the 21st century challenges, which are still out there. We're seeing all these cyber attacks now, some of them coming out of Russia, but if you get the ICs of the world uh, and the Al-Qaeda's of the world that develop those capabilities, we're really in for it. Well, it's a phenomenal book. You write about all those things and more. Uh, There's optimism in this book, which I love. And uh, it takes a blue-collar intellectual to recognize a blue-collar intellectual, Bill. So how about that? Okay. Very good there, fellow. Okay. But but God bless you for writing it. I look forward to seeing you soon. Uh, We'd love to obviously get you at our live events at SALT. Uh, And the book is The Profession, A Memoir of Community Race, and the arc of policing in America by Bill Bratton. Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you so much. Been a pleasure. And thank you everybody for joining today's Salt Talk with Commissioner Bill Bratton, talking about his new book, The Profession and the Arc of Policing in America. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous Salt Talks, you can access them on our website, uh, on demand at salt.org backslash talks, or on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. We're on social media. Twitter is where we're most active, at Salt Conference. We're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, and please spread the word about these Salt Talks. We think this issue of policing and, and how we can reform uh, what is a really complex topic uh, is very important. And so please you know, share this Salt Talk with your friends, with your family. We think it's a very important topic. But on behalf of Anthony and the entire Salt team, this is John Darcy signing off from Salt Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon. 